a publisher, and one day my daughter Christina asked me to write a novel with her. Well, that day was long ago, and that little girl is now an adult. But our novels live on. The Truth Seekers Mystery Series highlights a homeschool family, the Murphy Teens, in an action-adventure novel that is sure to entertain as well as teach creation truths. To get your copy, visit our website at truthseekersmysteryseries.com. This is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome to the Vintage Homeschool Mom Show. Your host, Felice Gerwitz, is an author, a publisher, and your radio show host. She will encourage, educate, and inspire you with answers to your most pressing questions from homeschool, marriage, parenting, and much more. Felice loves to equip moms to live a Christian life because every moment counts. Be sure to visit her website at MediaAngels.com. And here's your host, Felice Gerwitz. Hey, everyone, and welcome. This is Felice Gerwitz with an episode of Vintage Homeschool Moms. And today we are going to take a little bit of an academic uh, twist, if you will, and we are going to be talking about socialism. We hear that uh, talked about a lot on the news, you know, and as homeschool parents, we want some understanding of what does it mean and how does it apply to us and how are we going to educate our children um, more so i uh, really wanted to bring on today's guest because i don't want us to look at this and say oh that's just not going to happen i mean there have been plenty of evidence in history that it has happened and has not ended well and today i have a special guest from the Mises Foundation, and that is Jeff D. So, Jeff, uh, welcome. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, you are president of the the Mises Foundation. Um, it's an institute, actually, and it's m i s e s dot org, and you can find more information about that. But you have served as a writer, public speaker. You have done quite a bit in your illustrious career, and uh, you also were a longtime advisor and chief of staff for Congressman Ron Paul. Uh, so you have been very active, um, and now you are also uh, president of this institute as well as a podcaster. So share with us, you know, a little bit about how you got started with taking this little turn, if you will, in your career. Well, first and foremost, like a lot of people, I guess, I... Uh became very concerned about the state of the United States of America. I'm certainly somebody who loves this country. I love the opportunities it's afforded to me and to my grandparents, great grandparents who came here. Uh, so I think that we should all uh, take an active role in what's happening out there. Now that doesn't necessarily mean a political role. I'm actually mm -hmm. not someone who believes much in politics. I don't think politics works. And I don't think government and politics ought to be the way that we organize our society. I think we ought to organize our society around civil institutions, around families, and, and uh, around markets. Because markets, in my view, are, are cooperative. The marketplaces represent people coming together and, and doing things voluntarily. So um, I, I know that a lot of people worry 
about what they think of as free market fundamentalism. And I understand that concern that it is uh, anti-human, that it doesn't consider concern itself enough with family or civic and social institutions or religion or whatever it might be. And this is a criticism often directed by the right uh, towards libertarians or neoliberals or whatever uh, the, the term of the day might be. And, and I understand that. But in fact, I think that uh, regardless of, of our own particular viewpoints, I, I think that we can uh, start to agree when we look at the 20th century and what's unfolding in the 21st, that government is really not the best boss for us and certainly not a faraway government in Washington, D.C. that purports to rule over 330 million people with exceedingly diverse interests. We become far too centralized uh, in, in D.C. and with the Supreme Court and with federal preemption of state law and that sort of thing. So uh, long story short, I'm someone who had an opportunity to meet Ron Paul a long time ago when I was an undergraduate in college and just became interested in markets and economics as a result. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you've also spent time as a tax attorney. So you are an attorney, is that correct? Yeah, I was a lawyer for about 20 years. Okay, all right. Well, you know, we probably would have some diversity in, in exactly what we believe, but the point I want to make today is that we have to educate ourselves and be able to talk to people who think differently than we do, which is very important, and, and be civil about it, which is another thing that is very important. My kids are finding out, um, talked about their ideas, and now we fast forward to you know, 2018, 2019, and we find out that that diversity of thought is not quite accepted. And if for me, I think what really concerns me, Jeff, is that as a homeschooler, I mean, I was, I was raised in the education system. I had some private school background, and then I was, you know, educated in a private college um, and didn't like what the Department of Education was doing in many ways. So when I had children, I had the option to homeschool. Yes, there was a little bit of a battle, but I came in uh, late 80s after a lot of the foundational um, works were put in for the homeschool, uh, you know, the homeschool uh, pioneers as we call them, and they got us the legal standings. Uh, Florida is actually a really good state, um, has a good law for homeschooling. But I was able to do that. I was able to pull away from a government agency that I didn't was equipped to, to educate my own children. However, I can't pull away from society. And that's what I'm seeing now. So, um, you know, in, in the research that I did, I learned about um, Misov, and I want people to understand a little bit about him. So I'm sure you could talk for hours just about, you know, all that he did. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Uh, today's episode is called Problem with Socialism, and you can find the show notes at VintageHomeschoolMoms.com. So I will have a link to your, your site, but what are some things that you think are really important that people should know about his foundational work? Well, Ludwig von Mises was a giant of economics in the 20th century, and to an extent, uh, folks on the left and even some folks on the right tried to underplay or dismiss his contributions in the 20th century, but that's really been largely rectified. I think now even his strongest critics uh, would say that he was a very, very influential figure. And, and for our purposes mm -hmm. today, he wrote a book in the 1920s called Socialism. 
And it, it remains today maybe one of the most readable and most accurate uh, criticisms of a centrally planned economy, what would later uh, unravel in the former Soviet Union, what would later uh, bring into turmoil Nazi Germany, which affected his life in Vienna, Austria very much. And ultimately, as a Jew, mm -hmm. uh, he fled Vienna to uh, Munich for a period and then ultimately to New York City, which is how he became uh, you know, a de facto American later in his life. So he wrote Human Action, which is one of his most important books, a couple decades later, and he wrote it in English, which was not his first language. And it's really the comprehensive treaty, uh, or treatise, I should say, for modern uh, free market economics. So he was a, a, a very influential guy, but more importantly, uh, someone who really understood what socialism was and what it could devolve into up close, and someone who tried to caution the world about it. And I guess the question for our, uh, for our audience today is whether we listened and whether we've done the work to read and study history and really understand what socialism entails. And you know, earlier we were talking off air about uh, sometimes conservatives are a little dismissive towards the threat and saying, oh, come on, America will never become socialist. Mm -hmm. And that might sound right in the sense that uh, we're not on the cusp of you know, nationalizing whole industries. We are going to have private ownership of businesses and, and stock markets, uh, presumably for quite some time. But socialism is more than that. Uh, when we talk about ownership, what we really mean is control. So when we think about how government controls industries, how government controls businesses and individuals, even though it doesn't necessarily own those businesses, um, the, the measure of control and the degree of control has been growing and growing and growing throughout the 20th century, and it's increasing now. So when we look at, let's say, the slate of Democratic candidates for the 2020 presidential election, uh, you know, the things that they advocate are absolutely socialist. They want more and more control, uh, regulations, taxes, et cetera, over private industry. So if we, if we step back and look at the United States today, we could say that uh, America is socialist in its educational system because so much of it is government run. You could say America is mm -hmm. socialist in its healthcare system because so much of it uh, is government run or controlled by legislation like Obamacare. You could say the same about law. You could say the same about banking. Uh, you could say the same about energy. So there are, uh, there are industries in America, vast industries, that basically uh, dance to the tune of the U.S. federal government. So even though we're not socialist in the sense that uh, we don't have, we, we still have nominally private businesses, we are becoming more socialist uh, slowly but inexorably. So that's a concern. And I don't think it serves us well to, to just be dismissive of that. I mean, I think when the left tells us who they are, we ought to listen. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. And and I, I feel that, you know, people are saying, well, how did, you know, the young people are buying into this and think it's so great. The, the interesting thing, you know, I feel that um, our education system has done a great job. I remember reading a book in, in the late 80s um, about, you know, kind of like the data mining of our, our the kids in school and their education and they were giving them tests and so forth. And there's a lady who... Um, actually, I think her name is, um, I have to, I'll put a link in the show notes, but Anita something. Anyway, she is still fighting today, trying to change the system. She won a, a you know, against the government for, uh, you know, this 
horrible atrocity of data mining. You know, all these schools were, were doing this and she won, but it was out of court kind of a thing. So they didn't want to go to, to court to have to broadcast this. So only people probably read the book and who know who she is and follow her, you know, actually know about this. But they one of their goals was to change our kids' opinions in the schools. And so when you get to the point now where we are, and this is what, you know, that was 80. So, you know, what's this? Uh, uh, now we're more than 20 years later, almost 40 years later, you know, uh, let's round it up to the 20s from the 80s. You've got kids whose opinions are changed. And, you know, you've got parents whose opinions are changed who are having kids. And so for them, this is viable because they've been taught all of these years, you know, you deserve this, you need this, you, you've got to have it. So what is insidious about socialism? I mean, you talked about control. Is that, and, and then you, you shared with us some really, you know, alarming things that are true about what's already happening that we, we're, we're, you know, we're used to. So, so what are some things that we can be aware of? And I mean, do we have any hope here, Jeff? Well, such as control, it's the poverty that socialism creates because when people no longer uh, bear responsibility as much for their actions and when people no longer um, enjoy the success of their actions as much, then that kills incentives. And if there's one thing economists tend to agree on, maybe only one thing, is that incentives do in fact matter. And so when, when people like Bernie Sanders or your, I hate to say it, you know, your local teacher at your public high school uh, wax on about socialism being a happy, healthy thing that just wants to care about mm -hmm. people and make the world more fair, uh, they're trying to impress upon young people the idea of socialism being Denmark or Sweden or something like that. They don't want to talk about the former Soviet Union. They don't want to talk about Venezuela. They don't want to talk about China. So uh, what a lot of people don't understand, of course, is history. America in general, not just young people, is a very ahistorical nation. We don't know much about the rest of the world or even our own country. True. And, and beyond True. that, we don't know or understand much about economics. So this leaves the population ripe to this idea that, well, socialism is just about being kind and providing a social safety net and having free health care and lots of good affordable housing and uh, you know, free college education, these sorts of things. But it's not that big, bad uh, form of, of socialism, you know, outright communism that we had in the former Soviet Union. It's going to be a nice, soft kind of thing. And, and, you know, that can actually work for a period if you have a population that's very hardworking and that has a lot of inherited capital culturally and otherwise, like some of the Nordic countries. But over just a few uh, generations, uh, socialism always devolves into something where instead of being egalitarian, you end up with a very, very, very segregated ruling elite at the top and everybody else doing worse and worse with rationing and shortages and a lower standard of living. So it's not, it's not rocket science. We, you know, even a lot of people on the left will admit that markets work and that create more prosperity. Uh, the question is just uh, whether or not young people will attempt to overturn what we think of as American capitalism, as, as jaundiced and uh, uh, impure as it might be, uh, whether, they, whether they really want to overturn that uh, in exchange for, at the least, a style of European social democracy 
or maybe something beyond that. Um, so it's our job to counter, especially at, for, for those listening who homeschool, it's our immediate task to counter what people are hearing from their peers, from their teachers, uh, from most mainline uh, Protestant denominations, from uh, unfortunately a lot of the Catholic Church. Uh, and uh, you know, so this is, this is a full, a full scale war. This is a multi-front war. The culture is arrayed against us. And so uh, part of the cultural war is fighting back against the idea that socialism is benign because it's anything but. Right. Well, you're probably alluding to the Pope who we totally disagree with his take on socialism because look at the countries he's coming from. Well, uh, you, you, so you have to understand, I mean, he's a baby boomer coming right. out of Argentina when he did. And that's right. Uh, Right. A, a very bad combination. Which is and of interesting. Course, we, we see this throughout, yeah. you know, there's a lot of very left-wing uh, sentiment now in the Catholic Church. Yeah, I, we see it, but there's a lot of good right-wing <laughs> and conservatism as well in, in the church. So, yeah. And so, you know, it, it's really difficult, Jeff, to just take a massive statement and, and apply it to everyone. And that's that's what's difficult here is how do you, you know, get to the point where you can really look at some information and say, okay, um, you know, this is, this is where it's starting. Um, you know, like, again, you mentioned some of the things that the U S already does. I mean, we have a centralized bank. We have, and my big question is always, who are they? They talk about, you know, they, uh, are in control of whatever that is. And, you know, when you talk about who is influential, where does that does that start? You know, we immediately think, you know, politics, and that's why people are so up in arms today, you know, on either side. Um, but you're saying that it's more than that. So let's let's talk about that. Well, elites in this country are not simply financial elites. There are certainly uh, that's certainly a big part of it, but there are also elites in the sense of media and academia and government who aren't necessarily personally wealthy. So when we talk about uh, who, you know, who controls things, we don't need to get into conspiracies. Every, all human beings exhibit self-interest. So the idea mm -hmm. that people who are sort of running things in any society would like to continue running things uh, doesn't require any conspiracy mindedness. It just requires an honest assessment of human behavior. So, you know, I think if we look at a lot of the institutions that controlled the, the United States in the 20th century, we should rejoice that they're being challenged and questioned and some of them are crumbling. Uh, people are no longer view the Ivy Leagues uh, and, and the products of the Ivy League as they once did. People no longer view um, the U.S. Congress and the U.S. Senate as these noble institutions. People, same with the Supreme Court, same with uh, a lot of uh, nonprofits, a, a lot of uh, media institutions. So it's good. It's good that we're questioning elites because anti-elitism is warranted. They screwed things up. I mean, if elites had done a good job in the 20th century, we'd have better foreign policy and diplomacy. We'd have better, we'd have a better dollar. We'd have a better healthcare system. We'd have a better education system. So sometimes when I get, uh, when, you know, when I hear uh, populism blamed or the idea that anti-elitism is, is unintellectual or something like that, I always, I always want to ask the person, well, what is it that the elites were doing so well <laughs> that, that we should stay the course? I mean, there's a reason why Brexit happened. There's a reason why Trump won. 
Um, th these mm -hmm. things didn't just occur in a vacuum because everything was going so swimmingly and Hillary Clinton was going to be just the next version of technocratic rule. I, I mean, there's, there's a reason all this happened. And so um, our job is to understand it and, and also to offer some alternatives, not just to, to moan and complain. And homeschooling is a great alternative. I, I don't view homeschooling as dropping out or sequestering uh, your kids or anything like that. I view it as a very affirmative and positive choice for people who understand that they have a choice and that they're responsible for their children's education and upbringing. And it's not, it's not enough to just sort of turn those kids over for seven hours a day to a bunch of strangers who don't necessarily have their or your best interests in mind. So uh, I, yeah. I think homeschooling is, is one of the, one, you know, one of the most revolutionary acts uh, by which one can strike a blow at, at a, a society and culture and a government that, that uh, seems oppressive, that feels oppressive. So kudos to you and your audience for, because I know it's not easy. I have two kids no. and um, one of them's a great hand, can, candidate for homeschooling. The other, we're not convinced, but nonetheless, it's not easy. It, it is a tough, tough road and it involves a, a lot more work than just dropping your kid off at, at school and you know maybe everyone so I'll take a look at their homework or their report card. So kudos to you and, and it's the most important thing because there's nothing more important than education. As, as much as I dislike uh, some of the things our government does, I, I don't think revolutions generally work out uh, best for anybody. Uh, so I, I think mm -hmm. our, our revolution has to be intellectual and it certainly starts uh, right at home. Right. I appreciate that, Jeff. It's, uh, it's nice to hear someone, um, you know, share that. And so we may simplify it by saying socialism versus capitalism, but you were talking about that being a bigger thing before we went on air. So share, share what that is. Socialism versus what? Well, I would argue it's socialism versus freedom. And uh, you know, that the state is not the best way to organize society. The government, if you believe in it at all, ought to have a very small role as a referee and a judge, perhaps, and not much else, that it ought not to be an active participant in society like it certainly has become. When I'm talking about, of course, the U.S. federal central government. Um, so what animates the left today is the doctrine of egalitarianism. And that has really become a religion unto itself. And socialism mm -hmm. is a part yeah. of that. Socialism is sort of the economic and political end of that. But egalitarianism is bigger. It's a bigger thing. It is a, it is a religion. Uh, and it, and it's so define that. So, so, define when you, that. So, when people, so when people question egalitarianism, uh, you know, even pragmatically, you say, well, you know, gee whiz, when you raise the minimum wage because you think it's going to help the poorest workers, it actually dislocates some and causes a lot of them to lose their jobs and they're made worse off. The reason you get such a vitriolic or emotional response is because you have challenged something that is an article of faith on the left. Egalitarianism is, is, is not necessarily a rational worldview or mindset because of course it's so at odds with human nature and human experience so it's real mm -hmm. but it's it's very powerful i mean the idea of creating a more equal society is a very very powerful and effective narrative and we can understand why it works and why it holds appeal especially with young people um, it tugs at the heartstrings so the the fact that it produces the opposite of what it it purports 
is, is something that requires some critical thinking and taking a few more steps and doesn't always lend itself to sound bites. Like, well, let's have Medicare for all. Well, gee whiz, that sounds great. Mm -hmm. uh, what's, what's the cost as opposed to what? Um, so, you know, we have to, we have to appeal to the segment of the population that's willing to go a little deeper and work a little more and think a little harder. And, and I don't think we should shy away from that. Right. But the thing is, it's having the good arguments, not until this summer when my daughter came home from college and explained, you know, mom, we think they're wrong. They think we're evil, which is exactly what you're saying. I mean, it didn't even hit me. What happens is we listen to these things and we just are, we think it's incredulous or our media is telling us things that they just expect us to believe because they say it so many times. You know, are they thinking that we're that stupid that if they say it enough times, we're going to believe it? So how do you, how do you not get frustrated? Because you're in the middle of this. I mean, for Pete's sake, you, you're a president of this entire institution. So I feel like you know, you're getting into this whole philosophical thing. And um, you know, for, for me, just sitting here as I talk to you, sometimes I feel overwhelmed. So can you kind of drill down and just give us some some points that could be helpful? Well, I think you have to get hyper-local. You know, when, when something sounds philosophical or sounds overwhelming or daunting, I think you have to start at home and then work outward in concentric circles. So I, I would love to see people a lot more concerned about their town or their region than, you know, the federal government in America at large. I, I wish we set uh, I, I mean, I'm not a big fan of taxes, but if I have to pay them, I'd rather pay 80% uh, to my state and 20% to Washington, D.C. instead of the other way around. I mean, I think things uh, can be improved locally. And I, the other thing is I think that, that locally you can make a bigger difference if, you know, if you're going to get involved with education or schooling or whatever it might be. So um, there, there's more to life than just the, the national politics. There's all kinds of things happening mm -hmm. Uh, below that. And, and I think you start with um, figuring out your own family situation and, and moving out from there. I mean, that's, that's the most important thing, no question. Yeah, sheriffs is a, is a big thing. We really pay attention to our sheriff's elections uh, when that happens. Uh, they have a lot of power uh, that I don't even think the sheriffs understand they have. Uh, and you're right. I have friends that have done that. They, uh, one of my friends is an attorney. Um, she's not no longer an attorney, but she was in the military as an attorney. And um, she started out as just it being a field trip for her kids to go to some of these local, you know, forums that they have. And she has just become very, very political. Um, and, and I just laugh thinking, yeah, she was using it as a homeschool you know, example, let's just go to somebody's political action or, you know, the school board meeting or whatever that is. And she has um, really done some amazing things and let us know, you know, just tell us when we need to show up and we'll be there. So you're right. Um, you can drill down to some local things and know that, but we really have to um, allow our, our children to understand um, the historic significance of socialism and what it has done and really study the countries where that have been affected and not these uh, pseudo countries that are considered socialistic, but aren't. Um, any books and places you can direct our audience, Jeff, to, you know, to listen? Uh, you have a podcast, correct? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're homeschooling younger kids, let's say K through eight, I would suggest 
the Tuttle Twins series, T-U-T-T-L-E. It's a series of kids' books written by a friend of ours named Connor Boyack. If your kids are a little older and more advanced, um, I think you can come to Mises.org and find all the economics you'd ever want to read for free for the rest of your life. Uh, we have thousands and thousands of books in electronic format online free. Uh, I, I'm going to throw this out there because there's just too many to even consider, but I'm going to throw out there the name of a book, uh, Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt. This book was written in the 1940s, but it is absolutely as accurate and as prescient today as it ever was. This is a book that everyone has to read. It's a, it's a very easy read. Um, we're going to be uh, giving away huge numbers of a, of a new hardcover of this book later this fall, uh, but it, it's, it's probably the single best book ever written for people who aren't economists, for just letting okay, I'll have to get it <laughs> to understand economics. It's short. Uh, most of the chapters don't build on each other. They can be read as standalone. For example, there's chapters on minimum wage and rent control and that sort of thing. Um, an absolutely phenomenal book, Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt. Uh, please, you know, keep in touch with me. I am on Twitter at Jeff Deist, J-E-F-F-D-E-I-S-T, or find my uh, email. Our website is Mises.org. And when the time comes, I'll be happy to send any, any homeschooler listeners out there or homeschool uh, moms and dads uh, some copies of this book. And, uh, and please just keep in touch because I, there's a lot of resources that I can make available to you, but I'm not sure we can, we can uh, go through all of them today. Right, wonderful. Okay, so Jeff, I really appreciate your time. And um, like I said to the listeners, I'll have all these available on the website. So the topic today was the problem with socialism, episode 372. You can get the show notes at vintagehomeschoolmoms.com. And I have followed um, the, or actually subscribed to one of the um, newsletters that you have going out. I don't do the daily one, but I have one and I'm not even homeschooling kids anymore. So um, if I can do it, parents, you know, this is great information for you and your family. So again, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Well, Felice, it was great to meet you. All right, bye-bye. Okay, take care. Bye now. Bye, thanks again. Thanks for tuning in to the Vintage Homeschool Mom Show. Visit Felice at MediaAngels.com and the VintageHomeschoolMoms.com. Vintage Homeschool Moms is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.